God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather as the body of Christ and celebrate the resurrected Christ. Because he lives, we can gather and know that you are in our midst, that you meet us here, that you speak to us, that you hear us, that you love us. We are grateful for Jesus and we lift him up this morning. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. All right. Well, praise the Lord that we, uh, we gather this morning and we sing as, as people who have hope. We, uh, we have hope when life is tough. We have hope when life doesn't make sense. We even have hope in death. And uh, that is something that we gather to celebrate together this morning um, through, uh, throughout this day and Easter. And our, our prayer focus this morning, you'll see in your bulletin, is not that Easter, that the resurrection is something that we just celebrate this one day a year. But it is a way of life that we respond to the truth that we celebrate today of resurrection, that we respond to that truth throughout all of our lives, every day in the different circumstances we're in, the situations we find ourselves in, the, the people we live life with when uh, things are good, when things are bad, that we respond um, in a way that, 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 brings, that brings out the truth of the resurrection and who we are. So my, my name, by the way, is Ricky. I'm the youth director here at Grace, and this is something we do every week. In our worship gathering, we, we take six to eight minutes to, to pray together as a church family. And you'll see in your bulletins, there's a list of people to pray for. This is one of the ways to find out what's going on in our church and how you can pray for one another. The other way is through an online tool we use called The City. And that's a great resource as well to know how to pray um, for our body. But today our focus is praying that our church will respond um, in life uh, to resurrection living. That will impact the way that we live our life. So what what does this look like? Well, Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, says, Do not do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That doesn't seem like very powerful living to many people. But to Christians, this is. This is how we are to respond. What does it look like? Well, our example is Jesus. Paul goes on to tell in verse 5 through 11, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God's highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father. And what does resurrection living look like? It's, it's humble living. It's responding to who Jesus was. That he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That he followed through with what the Lord's plan was. And that there was hope and there was resurrection. And we too cling to that same hope. That promise is what I mean when I say hope of resurrection. That we too will have um, as seen in Jesus. So a few things to pray for, a few different points. One is we pray that we respond to the resurrection by approaching Jesus with confidence, that we know that he's interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. We pray that the Lord will give us the boldness to tell others about him, give us the ability to live humble lives, following the same self-giving attitude that, that Jesus has led for us as an example, that we respond in life that way so that we can point others to Jesus and that we know that he is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. We pray today that, that we will willingly take up the cross that the Lord has called us to bear, that we will be encouraged, that we will know that we are not abandoned, that even when Jesus went into the grave, He rose three days later, that we are not abandoned, we are not alone, even when we feel like that, that there's a lot of hope to be had, even in suffering, and even in times of darkness. We know that the resurrection is true, and we know that it's our promise as well. So we pray that we would recognize that because of the resurrection, the worst possible thing is never the last thing. 
we know that resurrection is coming for us as well. Suffering and death will not be the end for those who trust Jesus. Rather, we'll be like him. We'll be raised to new life. So let us, let us have hope in the word. Let us have hope in the Lord. Let us respond to life, to, res- to the resurrection uh, by way of living, resurrection living, by being humble people and telling others about what Jesus has done, even when life is tough. So I've asked a couple of our deacons to pray for this specifically for us this morning. Uh, Brian Arner and Matt Damaris, they're going to pray for us and ask that you guys join us as we agree together um, and ask the Lord to, to help us um, respond to life um, out of reflecting on the resurrection. Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. Um, my name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. We're so Happy that you have joined with us on this happiest of days. He is risen. I have a question for you this morning. What is the worst thing you've ever done in your life? That that may be kind of a downer on uh, Easter. Well, let me try that again. What is the biggest mistake you have ever... If there's one thing in your life that you could do over, if you got one do-over, what would it be? Now, those questions may seem like deep and dark downers on what should be the happiest day of the year for Christians. But don't you imagine that those are the questions that the Apostle Peter contemplated for weeks after the crucifixion? And resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean in your mind's response to the questions that I just asked. Did you think about something that happened before you were a Christian. Or something that happened after you were a Christian. I'm going to guess the chances are are decent. That you thought about something after you were a Christian. Because before it's kind of like you have an excuse. But afterwards. Well there's really no excuse for that. Well, more about that in just a moment. But first let me say, uh, I know a lot of you are here with students today and family have come in. And that is awesome to have you with us. If you happen to be here, uh, because you just ought to go to church on Easter. If there's one day out of the year you're going to go, it would be Easter. And maybe this is a particularly good time because, frankly, things have not been going all that well. And maybe there's some hope for me there, then I want to say to you that there is unimaginably good news and hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, then you're probably in the same mindset as much of the world that says, God, if you would just prove to me that you exist, I would believe. But know that Jesus says this, if you will believe me, you will know that I'm God. Show me, I'll believe, no, believe, and I'll show you. If you're already a follower of Jesus, as most of you are, there is as much good news for you in the gospel as there is for those who have not yet found hope in Jesus. Our hope indeed is in Jesus and in the gospel that redeems the fallen and gives hope that our bodies will one day be resurrected just like Jesus' body was resurrected. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to a resurrected body. It doesn't hurt and it doesn't do things that it ought not to do and that, you know, stays where it ought to stay and stuff like that. But that's not nearly the best hope of resurrection. The best hope is that one day this world will be restored to its state when it was created, a state of perfection. And we will live eternally in the brilliant light of our Savior, the resurrected Jesus. That is our hope in a world that is desperately broken and is inhabited by desperately broken people of whom the most desperately broken is speaking to you today. Although you might want to argue with that and say, no, no, no. No, I'm worse than you are. No, I'm worse than you. I'm more broken than you. Don't you imagine that's how Peter felt after he denied Jesus? Even though he had 
boasted that he would follow Jesus to the death. Even if everyone else forsook Jesus, he was going to death. Peter's failure was colossal. And he felt it deeply. That's why the events of John 21 were such a mercy to Peter, even though the interaction between Jesus and Peter was painful for the apostle. In a break from the typical way that I structure a sermon, I want to offer an outline of the message even before we read the text. And these points are going to be on the screen for a few minutes after we read the text and and not again after that. Three things that John 21 requires us to consider. First, it it tells us about our need to pursue Jesus in our brokenness. Secondly, it tells us about the privilege that we have to rest in Jesus' pursuit of us in our brokenness. And then last, a challenge to ask God for a laser focus on Jesus and the particular ministry he has given Each one of us. Our text today is the entire chapter of John 21. So if you would please stand as is our custom as we read scripture together. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Talked about this a lot lately. Unless God reveals himself to us, we don't know him. Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going to go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, (coughs) for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards. When they got out on land, they saw charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk whenever you wanted, wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him. And it said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Father, we are grateful for the word that you have given to us. You have perfectly laid out your will for us, the gospel that is all the way in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. That you are our creator. That we of our own accord have sinned. But even still, even if we had chosen not to sin, we have Adam's sin upon us. And it condemns us. But Jesus, the son of God, came and lived a, a sinless, spotless life. Went to the cross willingly. Where you poured out your wrath on sin. On him. Lord, in the resurrection, you accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, and we believe that Jesus is Lord, that he has risen, and that our hope lies in a relationship with him, which means simply crying out, Oh God, I'm a sinner, and I believe Jesus died for me. And I will follow him the rest of my days. Thank you, Lord, for that gospel that's all the way through Scripture. And today, as we find hope in your treatment of Peter after a colossal failure, we pray that our resurrection hope would be not only for the future, but for the here and now as we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. This past week, Allison and I visited Jonathan up in New York City, New York City. And what a great time with Jonathan and his friends. We saw a lot of stuff, but nothing compared to hanging out with Jonathan's friends. One of them took us on a tour of the Wall Street Journal, and it's like they were getting ready to get the paper out that afternoon, late that afternoon, next day's paper. And we just got to see a lot of stuff that, that some people don't get to see in New York. And uh, except for the driving in Times Square, it was a great trip. That was uh, pretty intense. On the way back, we, we stopped in Annapolis, which is just one of my favorite towns anywhere. It's a beautiful little town if you've never been to Annapolis, Maryland. And we spent a couple of nights in a hotel that I had stayed in quite a few years ago. Um, we spent a brief time in the historic district, and, and I wrote this sermon, pretty much is what we did in Annapolis. Allison did some shopping, lightened our bank account, some other, no, nah, I'm just kidding, just kidding. She got some beautiful stuff, she's wearing it today. Um, I shouldn't have said that, should I? In fact, I'm going to regret having said that. <laughs> Well, let me tell you something really cool about what happened in Annapolis. We, we checked into the hotel, and, and we, were, we were going downstairs for a, a shuttle to the historic district. Imagine that uh, the family inn at Suites. No, it's not, not the family. It's, it's a country inn in Suites. has a shuttle. They actually do, you know, a four-mile shuttle down to the historic district. And so we were going downstairs, and we walked by the little breakfast room, and Allison kind of did a double take. And later she said, you know, I think I've stayed in this place before. And so she texted her friend and, 
She said, we were in a conference in Annapolis several years ago. Where did we stay in? Her friend texted back, country inn and suites. Now, what's the significance of all that? It's that that was the time when Allison stayed in that hotel. She said, I, I sat right in there and I spoke to you on the phone for the very first time. The very first time I heard that sweet Aussie voice that brings such life to me. She was sitting in there, and I was down in Fuqua Verena, two world-class cities, Annapolis and Fuqua Verena. <laughs> and all of a sudden, she had no idea, but we were back in that same spot. You know, I don't make probably as much as I should of coincidences, things that sort of are connections in life, connections to the past, from the past to the present. Uh, but after reading the text and preparing this sermon, after we had made that discovery, I thought to myself, you know, I really ought to pay more attention to the way that God moves in His sovereign plan. It was one of those beautiful memories and a reminder that God brought us together and continues to be at the center of our relationship. Today's fact, today's text is loaded with those kinds of connections. Sensory connections to the past that the disciples had previously experienced with Jesus. Sights, sounds, smells, words. All of it brought memories to the disciples. And the Lord used those connections to minister to his followers. Now, when I point out some of the earlier incidents that, that reminded the disciples of the past, you're going to have to take my word for it because I'm not going to put scripture on the screen or say in this place or in that place. Occasionally I will. But there's just there are lots of connections to the past. John 21 occurs sometime after Jesus' resurrection, uh, before his ascension. He appeared to the disciples on Easter and then he appeared to them eight days later. And now this is the third time he was appearing to, him, appearing to them. You'll recall that Jesus had given instructions. We read it earlier. or David read it for us. Jesus had given instructions for his disciples to go to Galilee. A lot of people say, well, look at old Peter running away from the Lord, getting away. No, look, they probably went to Galilee because Jesus had said to. And Peter... I don't know if you know anybody like this, but Peter was impatient. And nothing was happening. He said, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. And the other said, yep, I'll do that too. So, this is not Peter running away, but following the Lord's instructions. Don't you know that by the morning when they had fished all night and had caught nothing, Peter thought, wow, I must have lost my touch. Then the stranger told them to throw the nets on the other side of the boat as the day was breaking when there was no good fishing to be done. And there was a huge catch of fish. And their eyes were open. John said, it's Jesus. It's the Lord. So what would you have done if you'd been Peter? You might have sat there wondering, what Jesus would think about this fishing trip. I mean, he had said go to Galilee, but he didn't say go fishing. You might wonder what Jesus thought of you. I mean, he might be excited to see the other guys, but, but Peter? <laughs> you know what Peter did. He threw his outer garment on quickly, and he got out of the boat and started getting ashore as fast as he could. He couldn't help himself. That's just the way he was. Even in his brokenness, Peter was drawn to Jesus. Even though Peter had denied Jesus, his heart leapt for joy at the sight of Jesus, and he couldn't stay in the boat. Peter, a man broken over his own failures, pursued the Lord. <coughs> there was so much about Jesus that Peter couldn't understand. Years earlier when people were walking away from Jesus after these complex and confusing 
instructions or teachings that Jesus had shared with the people. Jesus turned and asked his disciples, what about you? Are you going to leave me also? And you remember the response. Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. And now, even though life made no sense at all, and though Peter found himself in the depths of his failure, he pursued Jesus. That's a good plan. I mean, what else are you going to do? When, when your world is, has been shattered, or even when you have failed royally, pursue Jesus. You worship your way into sin, worship your way out of sin. You can focus on your bad circumstances, you can focus on your sin, or you can be devastated by your own failure. Or you can pursue Jesus. Jump out of the boat and move toward the Lord. And when you get to shore, you will discover that he has been pursuing you all along. Malcolm Muggeridge said, Christianity from Golgotha onwards has been the sanctification of failure. Thank God. The provision of fish said so many good things to the disciples who were with Peter on that day. Well, at least Peter, it reminded Peter of Jesus' initial call on his life when he and Andrew were in a boat and they had fished all night and Jesus said, throw the, the net on the other side. And they said, Lord, it really doesn't make any sense, but we'll do it just because you said so. And the same thing, a great haul of fish after a fruitless night of fishing. No doubt all the disciples had heard that story from Peter and Andrew dozens of times. Peter must have taken the fish as a good sign on this post-resurrection day. And on this morning, Jesus served the disciples by feeding them, just as he had served them on Monday, Thursday, by washing their feet. After breakfast, Jesus turned to Peter and asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, now most likely what Jesus was asking Peter was, do you love me more than these other disciples? I mean, he could have been saying, do you love me more than the fishing? Do you love me more than you love them? But almost certainly, Jesus was asking, do you love me more than these guys do? And why was he asking, asking that? Because Jesus said, if everybody else forsakes you, I won't. I'll go to the death with you. So Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Jesus' questions were designed to hurt. And they hit the mark. Even so, Peter felt the Lord's tender love in the back and forth. <laughs> We're so defensive, aren't we? When somebody says a hard word to us, even if we know it's true, we want to justify ourselves, we want to accuse the other person, we want to say, oh yeah, you think... Jesus... Words pierced Peter's heart. And he sensed the love in them, even though it was difficult. Now, there are two different Greek words used for the English word love in this exchange. Agape and phileo. In fact, you probably have heard sermons. In fact, I used to preach sermons based on the different words. Agape and phileo. But you know what? They really mean the same thing. Demas has agaped this world and forsaken me. Paul said in Timothy, the father phileo the son. The father loves the son. Jesus and Peter were probably speaking Aramaic. It's written in Greek and, and, and there's a purpose for it being written in Greek, but essentially three times, do you love me? Yes, I love you, is what was going on. Each time after Peter's confession of love, Jesus commissioned him, feed my sheep. Once again, 
almost certainly, Jesus' three questions corresponded to Peter's three denials. Peter had to be confronted with his failure. It's what Martin Luther said in, his, in the first of his 95 theses. Life is a life of continual. The Christian life is a life of continual repentance. We are called to examine ourselves or as the Holy Spirit lays open our sin. Confess that sin. Otherwise we become hard and arrogant and sensitive and, 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 and abusive. Peter had to be confronted with his failure. And even though he most likely, since we're in a series called A Place in the Family, even though Peter most likely felt like the black sheep of the family at this point, after each confession of love, Jesus tenderly told Peter to take care of Jesus' lambs, to serve his people, to fulfill the mission that Jesus had called him to. Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, talking about the need for gospel interaction between husband and wife, says the gospel is wonderful and it's painful at the same time. Or maybe he said it the other way, the gospel is painful and it's wonderful all at the same time. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that the Lord's not going to let you stay in your sin? Aren't you glad that he's calling you out of that? Aren't you glad that you feel guilty? That you feel ashamed when you've done certain things? It's not the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age is that somehow you have been wronged in this life and you need to get what's coming to you. And the very thing that would help people to confess their sin is thought to be oppressive. You just need to deal. You need to find a way to find out who you really are. Well, I think we know who we are. And the Word does that for us. It tells us who we are. But then it tells us who Jesus is and how much He loves us. Even in our failure. Even in our sin. After Jesus commissioned Peter for pastoral service. He told Peter that he was going to get a do-over. <laughs> he would have another chance to stand for Jesus when confronted with death. And he would indeed die for Jesus. If the Lord were here today and told you that you were going to die for him courageously. But if he said, and people are going to do to you things that you don't want done to you. You might not be excited about that. I'm going to guess Peter was. Don't you know he desperately wanted another chance? And the Lord said, okay, it's going to happen. And I'm sure Peter was glad for the prophecy that told of his courage rather than his cowardice when Jesus had prophesied, you're going to deny me. Lord, not me. Peter, especially you, three times before the rooster crows, you will deny me. Now Jesus says, Peter, you're going to die for me. Even though Jesus promised courage for Peter to carry out the mission of shepherding God's covenant people. It's clear that Peter was saying to him, your priority, Peter, is to love me, then people. Love the Lord your God. What, first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Second is like to the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Priority. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Serve me by serving others. Even when God is 
sharing a difficult word with you. Know this. He is drawing you to himself. Turn toward the Lord and you will find that he has been turning you. He loves you that much. Keep your eyes on him and ask God for that laser focus on the mission that he has given you. That mission, by the way, for all of us is to make disciples of all nations. And then he's given you a specific mission in the family that he's put you according to the gifts that we've been talking about and we will be talking about for the next three weeks, the spiritual gifts that have been given to us by Jesus. But one of the things that distracts us so often from our task is worrying about our brothers and sisters. I mean, after Jesus told Peter that he would die as a result of his faith, Peter turned and asked about John, who spoke of himself in the third person. By the way, let me just say this. When you see Paul and John speaking in the third person in Scripture, if you're, if you're trying to read that in today's culture, you might think of that as rather, um, you know, boastful or just self-absorbed and really kind of strange. I mean, you know, if you, you hear Chris Pope is in the house, let the party begin. Chris Pope going to rock the house. <laughs> Well, it, no, that's just, uh, you, you would say, oh, I don't think so. But, but that's not what was going on. So just, just so you'll know, you, you kind of think of John as, and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Actually, that was humble of John to say it that way, trying not to bring attention to himself. Peter. You're going to be crucified when you're old. By this point, Jesus and Peter are, you know, Jesus had said, follow me. And then he's telling Peter this news. Evidently, John is kind of following by, along and behind. And, and Peter says, well, what about that guy? What about him? Jesus told Peter in so many words, it's none of your business makes no difference if John dies early or if he is alive when I return. You follow me. Yet again, another good and difficult word for many of us. I mean, how many of our negative attitudes, our distractions, our failures to serve the Lord are the result of thinking way too much about how someone else is not living up to his or her calling? Jesus called Peter to resurrection living. And he is calling you to the same life today. On this Easter Sunday, confess your sin to God and set your heart fully on the resurrected Christ. Pursue him. Rest in his love for you. And the sure promise that he will never let you go. It's not so much a matter of you holding on to Jesus. He's holding on to you. He's not going to let you go. Who wouldn't want to serve a, a Savior like that? But many of us are like Peter. The spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. Ask God for a laser focus on Jesus. And the mission to which he has called you. Peter knew that the Lord had forgiven him. When Jesus rose from the dead again as David read for us. The angel told the Marys. Go and tell my disciples and Peter that I've risen. Can you imagine Peter that? Me? Really? He singled me out. He's probably trying to think whether that's good news or bad. Uh, but I imagine he already knew. 
My friend, Jimmy Elliott, I would tell you, the Lord gave this thought to me last night. I don't know when he gave it to Jimmy Elliott, my friend. We were talking about the passages we were going to be preaching today on the phone. And he was saying, you know, just was thinking about this. When, when the Lord turned and looked at Peter after those three denials, his face almost certainly what, what would you think of? Let me just ask you, what do you think was in Jesus' face? Probably disappointment, right? It says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. But Jimmy was saying, and it makes perfect sense. Every time the face of God is toward us in Scripture, it's good. Now, he turns away from us in his wrath. I mean, he sees us. Don't get me that. Don't get me wrong about that. He sees everything, and he pours out his wrath. But when, when the scripture talks about his face is turned toward us, it's in favor. And almost certainly, Jesus looked, said, "Peter, I love you, and my favor will always be on you." He was forgiven, but he had business that had to be conducted. With the Lord. Time and again in our text, we see and hear and smell and feel things that the Lord had done for Peter in days gone by. And we watch Peter recognize that in spite of his impulsive words, his erratic actions, his distracted service, that Jesus loved him and chose him for service, specific, meaningful service. And just like that miraculous catch of fish reminded the disciples of Jesus' divinity because he's, he's the one that can do this and for his love for them, so this table reminds us that Jesus loves us every much, every bit as much as he did Peter. Every bit. By partaking of the bread and the juice, we confess our belief in Jesus and our souls are nourished by him. To confess Christ is no small thing. The kind of trouble that Peter and all of the disciples except for John faced. And John was in prison near the end of his life. But he's the only one that got out without being martyred. And although that kind of trouble seems far away, it's really not all that far away. Once again, back to Jonathan. Uh, he's going to Kenya in a few months. Kenya, you remember, just last week, this past week, nearly 150 people killed. Uh, Allison and I watched by, by, by radical, uh, radical Islamists. Allison and I watched the show the other night <clears throat> on CNN about the mall, <clears throat> the terror in the mall years ago in Kenya. And we just watched because there was a lot of footage. And these guys would ask, they had these machine guns, are you a Christian or a Muslim? If they said Christian, it was just immediate. Just, just, and just like, Psh, that's it. You're dead. That's what happened this week. Are you Christian? If you, if you stop to think, you're dead. You don't confess Allah right now. It's no small thing to confess Jesus. We ought to have known that anyway. It's no small thing to confess Jesus since we are called to die to ourselves and to take up our cross every day and follow him. But to confess Jesus, which you so confess when you partake at this table, is the only hope of eternal life, and it is a brilliant hope. So this morning, as we come to this table, if you have confessed your faith in Christ, we invite you to join us, whether you're a member at Grace Community Church or not. If you have never confessed Christ, what a great time to do it at this table. We're going to have our service be standing in the front. We'll partake up front. You will go back in the middle aisle and the side aisles, the aisles by the windows. You'll come up the other two aisles. 
ushers will tell you when to come forward. If you don't, if you do not confess Jesus as your Savior, you're welcome to stay in your seat. I know it's a little crowded. Or you can come and not partake. We would appreciate your honesty. But if you partake of this table, you are saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. If you are a believer who has failed recently, <laughs> what a great place to to receive and understand and, 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 and embrace the Lord's forgiveness. His death on the cross has forgiven you of all sins. We are called to repent of our sins when we have sinned. And it's a good thing for us to take time in just a moment to pray. If you're a believer, ask God to turn your heart towards him. Confess Repent, come forward, and partake. I'm going to ask the servers and the worship team to come forward as I prepare to read the words of institution from Matthew. And if you will, uh, if, if we've got room to, to be seated, that's fine. If not, we can just, um, some of us can stand. <clears throat> Think of um, Easter weekend as the crucifixion event. Crucifixion, resurrection, you're really, when you understand what the crucifixion meant, it's all part of the same event. When Jesus died, it was inevitable that he would rise again. And in so rising, the Lord stated loudly and clearly, I accept the sacrifice for sin. So, from Matthew, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The promise that one day we're going to be restored. One day everything is going to be like it was. And, and in that kingdom, the kingdom is already not yet, but in that day we will drink of the fruit of the vine and partake of bread that the Lord gives to us in perfection and in the glorious hope of eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection of Christ. going to pray. Our servers will uh, partake first, and then uh, the worship team will lead us in worshiping the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> we, we confess that we're so often like our brother, Simon Peter. We all are in one way or another. Some of us are impulsive, impetuous. Others are more reserved and quiet. But we all do things that we regret terribly. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrected Jesus. Confronting us when necessary. With our sin and then redeeming all the time, constantly redeeming our lives and making us more like him and commissioning us for service in the kingdom. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the death that was impossible for any of us to assume for anything short of eternity. Thank you for the life that we have because of the shed blood and the broken body of our Savior Jesus. Nourish our hearts and our souls in this meal we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you remain standing for the benediction?
We have had sanctification preached to us today, preached to me. If you'll notice in Brad's notes, pursue, rest, ask, they all have to do with us. But in the process of sanctification, even though we have been justified by Jesus Christ and we have right standing before God because of him, sanctification is a process. And we are called to be a part of God's story. So even in John 21, when you look at verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. It doesn't tell us beforehand that they're on a journey. Jesus is walking. He's always moving. And if we want to be with him, we have to be moving also. So we go back to 1 Peter. And in his words... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you loved him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Go in peace.